Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Welcome to Case Closed, the Contingency Fee Podcast. On the show, our team of industry experts interviews contingency fee attorneys. You will discover everything from how they got started to the secrets of their success and what's working in today's marketplace. And now, here's the Case Closed Podcast. Welcome to the Case Closed Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Clannon. My guest today is David Catanese, and he is with Zacher uh, Law Firm in Arizona. Are you in Phoenix? I am, yes. Okay, great. Well, thanks for joining us today. Um, I'm sure it's a little warm down there still. Oh, yep, still is. We'll we'll be another hundred. I think 105 today, which uh, lately has been that's been it's been a relief. So you can keep that. Yeah. So, um, well, why don't before we get going, why don't you just kind of um, talk about you know you as an attorney? Tell us a little about your background. How you go through some questions after that? Sure. No. Well, um, I've been practicing 37 years exclusively in Arizona. Um, I'm an Eastern guy. I was born in a place called Steubenville, Ohio, where home of Dean Martin, and then spent most of my youth in Niagara Falls, where my parents were originally from. Um, came out to Arizona to get out of the snow, graduated from law school in 87, have been doing trial law most of it, and been in Phoenix and been fortunate to work with good lawyers and represent some really good people. So that's it in a nutshell. That's it. Huh? Well, let's, let's talk about uh, Steubenville, Ohio. So how did your upbringing there influence your career in law? Okay, if you know anything about Steubenville, and especially I grew up there in the 60s, it was a steel mill town. In fact, my father, my parents, before I was born, my father was a steel mill worker in Niagara Falls. Before I was born, he got transferred to Steubenville. And then then I was born in 62. And growing up there was interesting. Um, hardworking people. Uh, you learn not to gripe a lot. My father would take us to the mill every once in a while, the steel mill with him. You'd see guys working with half a finger, half a hand and not complaining um, I, I tell the people the story that my father, the day before, we didn't have kindergarten back then. Mm. So the day before you started uh, first grade, my dad would take my me to did it with my siblings. He would take us into the steel mill. We'd spend the day there and we would we'd see what it was like to work in a steel mill. And then on the drive home, we got the talk of you get an education or you work in a steel mill. There ain't no third choice. So figure it out now. So it, I learned both of my parents grew up in the Depression. Neither of them finished high school, although they were both very smart, read a lot, which I was very grateful to be raised around that. So really good work ethic, uh, taking care of people it was just a nice community to grow up, grow up in because we people took care of each other. And it was a great football town. Steubenville, I think, to this day is still known for its high school football. So I really appreciated growing up there. I learned a lot of good lessons early on, um, some of them coming from the back of my mother's hand to the back of my head. But, you know, <laughs> you learned it. And, and I like learning how to work and enjoying work and getting home at the end of the day, knowing you put in a full day's work. Right. So tell us, how did you get to Steubenville from Steubenville 
into the law side? Well, I'll tell you, we, um, my father retired when I was 12. And since we were originally from Niagara Falls, we moved back there. Again, education was important. You know, my mother wanted a doctor, a lawyer, or a priest. My oldest brother is, is a doctor. Didn't get the priest in there. We're blaming my middle brother. And so I just, you know, education was big. Graduate, a type of graduate school was always impressed upon us. Um, and I will tell you the reason I chose law, the seed was planted by a movie. There's an old Paul Newman movie called The Young Philadelphians where he played a lawyer and it always intrigued me. And I think going through high school and then into college, I always had that in the back of my head. And as I got older, I saw that lawyers seemed to wear nice suits and go to lunch and, you know, live fairly well. I thought it may not be a bad way to do. And I always liked school. So yeah. when I got done with college, I looked forward to going to law school. Just again, I grew up in a family where learning was big. And so I enjoyed that. I, I'll be honest with you. I'm probably the least educated of everyone in my family, my my siblings are their accolades and accomplishments are amazing. So I really was blessed to have that. You know, it's just mm -hmm. it was what was expected. So I didn't. And so then it was time I got done with graduates or undergrad and did well on my law boards and had my choice of where to go to law school and and chose Arizona State. Wow, that's great. So how is your um, academic background in honor societies, or sorry, honor history? Right. Um, and the political sciences uh, shaped your legal career? Well, I'll, I'll tell you, first of all, it is the, um, the one thing about both of those subjects was a lot of reading and a lot of interpreting, not just the politics, but the law and how mm. people interact with each other. And I think that's at least for what I do, because I'm a trial lawyer, which means I've got to get up in front of people. And and I tell people, I, in addition to practicing law, I'm a director because I've got to paint a picture where they're going to understand what I'm talking about and hopefully understand why I'm telling them to side with me. Um, and I think through my political science and my history, you learn how people act, how people react. And I think that's just been a... Uh, it's just been a blessing for me. And I will tell you to give a plug to my undergraduate. I went to a, a school in Buffalo called Canisius College, and it is a very small Jesuit school. But I had professed our classes. We had maybe nine, 10 people in a class. Wow. And you really had to participate. and You really had to talk to people. And so I think those were great steps, even though I didn't realize it at the time. Mm -hmm. It was a really good, good foundation for me to do what I ended up doing and and honestly did it accidentally because I graduated law school and I did not intend to practice law. Really? Yeah. <laughs> what was your backup or what was your first thing? Well, you it's of? a long story, but I was so I, I well, m most law students got clerking jobs with big firms and that I bartended. I made a night in, in Phoenix and Tempe and Scottsdale at the time. You could make a nice living bartending. And so I was doing well in that. I got through law school. I was enjoying myself and didn't wasn't sure I wanted to join the join the grind of nine to five work yet. I had a couple jobs lined up to do bartending, one with Royal Caribbean in the summer. And I had a buddy that had a bar in Vail that I was going to work in the winters. But right after I graduated law school, I lost my my bartending job and needed money. I happened to have a my high school football coach in Phoenix who offered me a job practicing law. And I jumped in with him and I just started to like it. 
and it came time for me to go to fly. I think I had to fly to Miami for training to go work for Royal Caribbean. I thought, I kind of like this law thing. And small firm I work with said, look, if you stick around, we'll help you out. We'll, we'll give you a nice paying job. And so it's, I reluctantly went into the practice of law. I'm glad I'm yeah. I, I love it. I've been doing it 37 years. I get up every day looking forward to coming into work. So is that how you initially got to Arizona was because of that relationship? I know. I really, I got to Arizona. Here's how I got to Arizona. First, it's one thing I learned. It's a lot. If you've ever been to Western New York, the Buffalo, Niagara Falls areas, oh, yeah. winters can be brutal. <laughs> and I, quick, I quickly learned that it's a lot easier to shovel, shovel sunshine than it is snow. Mm-hmm. And so I saw after I got out of college, I, I applied myself and I did well. So I was fortunate to have choices of where I'd go. And I knew I was going to go to the warm climate. I had happened to, during undergrad, have a friend living in Phoenix going to ASU. And so I flew out, I think my sophomore or junior year of college, everybody's going to spring break in Florida back east. I figured yeah. I'd go to, I'd go to, uh, I'll go Phoenix and visit my friend I hadn't seen in a while. So I, you know, I, I leave Buffalo and it's like 15 degrees. It's dark. It's slushy. It's cold. Three, four hours later, I get off a plane in Phoenix and it's sunshine and there are girls and attractive women and people are handing me margaritas. And I'm thinking, does everybody know about this? This is great. So I looked at different schools and, and, and I was fortunate to get into UCLA and USC I just didn't want to live in Los Angeles. I liked Phoenix. I liked what I saw when I visited. Probably my biggest thing was they had a 97% uh, job rate for its graduates. Within six months of graduating law school, 97% of their graduates Mm -hmm. had jobs. So that was Phoenix was growing. I knew some people here and, you know, the school growing and that reputation. I came out here and again, I haven't regretted it since. Right. Right. Wow. I love Phoenix myself. I have a yeah. son that lives there. Well, August, it can test so no, well, Right, right. It has its pros and cons. Yeah, you know, like everywhere. But I don't, you know, no well. hurricanes, no tornadoes, no storms. You know, I'll right. take Right, exactly. So could you share some um, key experiences from your early career representing individuals with catastrophic injuries? Yeah. So let me tell you a little bit about I, um, as I mentioned, I, my former high school football coach put me in a uh, in a good position. And I happened to be working a case against another young lawyer who he and a bunch of other lawyers were breaking off from other firms and kind of started this super lawyer firm that we had in Phoenix. Um, and I think it was Ray Koppel Downey. And Black was the first incarnation of it. But it was really just a great group of lawyers. So I spent my first three or four years carrying bags of the best trial lawyers in Arizona. Uh, The experience I got, I feel bad for young lawyers now that they don't get the experience, but watching how a lawyer goes into a courtroom, talks to a jury and and controls the courtroom. Now, I learned early on, you can control the courtroom and most judges will let you do that if you know what you're doing and you're respectful. So most uh, lawyers work in personal injury uh, start off smaller cases. I didn't. The group I worked with, and especially, uh, you know, my first big mentor, Buddy Rake, did big cases. We did um, we did a lot of product liability cases, cases against GM and Ford for what was called uh, seatback failures. There, you, We had a lot of cases where if somebody, if you ever get hit in a rear-end accident, 
um, you're really dependent on that back seat. Because what ends up happening is when you get hit, the car moves forward, your body's stationary, and that puts a load on that seat. There were times in which if you got hit hard enough, that seat just wow. breaks. person would go sliding back into the back seat and snap their neck. So I started off with doing a lot of those cases, and we were fortunate to, to you know, the one thing I've appreciated about doing this is I think the work we've done, because it's never me, it's always a, it takes a group. It's a, right is that we've made some changes. And, and I'll tell you, people look at me and said, it, at one time, the Federal Motor Vehicle Standards for a for your seat back, how strong it had to be, wasn't much. We were able to find an expert that was able to build one out of egg cartons wow. that passed the test. So because of our work there, the seat backs are now stronger. Did a lot of auto, rollover, uh, roof crush, anything that talked about the... Um, the safety of a vehicle. Um, we also did jet ski. If you know, if you ever see a jet ski, you see that yep. water going up in the back of the jet ski when it goes. That was part of what we did. We were early on suing Kawasaki and the other manufacturers because we were we were representing people who, you know, boats going one way and the jet skis going the other and they collide and the boats as we could have never seen them. And, and part of what we did was got that industry to come up with it. It's called conspicuity or the be, the ability right. to be able to see something. And so that early on, and it really was, yeah. a, you know, a benefit to me, but the one thing was, and you mentioned it, I dealt with catastrophic injuries, uh, quadriplegics, paraplegics, death. You know, people ask me, what's the biggest thing you take away from being a lawyer? And I tell them the biggest thing I take away from what I do is that whenever I see my kids, I hug them and I tell them I love them. Because mm -hmm. I've seen too many cases where somebody walks out the door thinking they're going to be coming home at five o'clock and they don't come home, um, either due to an auto accident or anything. I've seen people go into a hospital ex uh, expecting to come out being fine and they never come back. So it was very sobering. Um, right. You know, I was one of those young people that, you know, I drove my car. I can't be burdened by a seatbelt. I'm not going to look cool. I started doing this job and I saw what the difference was. I've been a seatbelt wearer right. ever since that first case I had where I saw somebody went through the windshield because they didn't have their seatbelt on. Right. Is there one case that just you think about a lot? You know, I've, I've done so many. I've been fortunate to try a lot of cases. And I'll tell you what's it's the first I had a and I still have the card at home. When I became a lawyer, I got my first case that was all my own. And yeah. it was a sweet woman who but elderly women woman who went into a beauty shop and in the middle of the beauty shop was this big planter thing. She walked into it, fell and got a, a, a decent injury. That wasn't the catastrophic. Right. And the insurance company was saying, why well, she tripped over her own, you know, this is, we're not paying her a dime, get out of here. And it, you know, it was a young lawyer. You want to make something happen. And I found this obscure case that said, if you got things around that you want people to look at, you're, you're distracting them, then you're at fault if there's something in their way. And I mm -hmm. just found that one case and I got this woman a nice little settlement and it was like the world to her. Right. And, and you, when you realize you can affect people that way, and, and I'm not going to kid anybody, I'm in this job to make a living and provide for my family, right. but I, I really do do it to help people. Mm -hmm. um, there was another case in which it, there was a, a nice Native American man who went in for physical therapy and the young physical therapist didn't didn't do it properly. And he got a burn on his chest. 
It wasn't a big case, but nobody would take it for him. I took it. I had to take it to trial. It probably didn't make any money on it. But again, the person was so grateful. It's like, it's nice right. to be able to, to do that for people. But I've had a lot of cases. Um, you know, one of the probably the biggest ones I've been involved with that, that uh, you know, depending on where you fall in your political spectrum was good or bad is there was a there's a famous case out here called the Temple Murders, mm-hmm. uh, in which nine monks were executed uh, in northern Phoenix. And the case went on and they picked up these four kids from Tucson based on a tip by a guy in a mental that just got out of a mental institution. And it was clear that these, I mean, they, it was terrible what they did to the, they took these four young kids, they put them in an interrogation room. They'd have pictures of the, the murder scene up and then they'd ask them questions about it. They deprived them of sleep. They deprived them. Um, and they were known as the Tucson four. In fact, our guy was working at a dog track and we had video of him doing it at the time. Um, at the time of the murders and they accused him of altering the videos. So, and it was good because one, it it got the sheriff at the time, Sheriff Agnos out of Phoenix or Maricopa County. It made a change in the interrogation techniques in, in Arizona. Unfortunately, Sheriff Agnos ran against Joe Arpaio. And so because of Agnos having screwed up this temple murder case, Arpaio had a nice, easy yeah. win and we've all know you know sheriff joe in his pink underwear in his tent city so you know depending right. on which side of the spectrum you're on that was good or bad but I, again right. i've had so many you know i'll tell you the ones that i do have that are just awful and i hate yeah. doing them but i do do them yeah. is uh school molestations by mm-hmm. teachers counselors it's tragic what goes on in our schools sometimes but um so those are just a couple that come to mind. Right. Well, you mentioned you mentioned um, Ford. So you, right. you've worked with some large corporations. What lessons? Because I think there was Ford, GM, and right. several others. But what what are some lessons you learned from those bigger? I mean, I don't know if they were bigger cases, but working with corporations. Well, I tell you, you got to stay on your ground, and you've got to be able to withstand the fight you got to it's an endurance contest because there were i mean we've done we do these auto cases and in these cases most of them you want to see all the testing and everything that was done mm-hmm. and so you ask for specific things and in two weeks there's two trucks unloading boxes and it's like here's everything we have go find you know go find the needle in the haystack really learn to be persistent um through all of that, you got time for a quick story. I'll tell you one that lo- what I learned about, you know, it doesn't matter where you went to Harvard or Yale. It doesn't matter wh- how much law you know. We had a case against Ford where the Bronco 2, our client, the he, he had a rollover. He was driving, the back wheels locked up. It rolled over. He was a surgeon. He broke his wrist, couldn't be a surgeon anymore. And the problem was there's a thing called a transfer case that, when you go from two-wheel to four-wheel drive, it is the transfer case that that assists in that getting done. And we knew that what the problem was somewhere in the transfer case. And I worked for a, an old crudgety but really good lawyer by the name of Jack Warner. And Jack calls me in his office and says, go get me a transfer case from a Bronco 2, preferably this year. And I'm like, 
you know, Jack, I, I missed that day in law school about going to get transfer cases. What the heck do I do? Jesus, get on the phone, start calling, calling, you know, repair shops and junkyards and see if somebody's got a. And then when you find one, you go to George in the county and you get a check and you go buy it and you bring it back here. And so I do that and I bring it back, said, Jack, I got the transfer case. And Jack says, OK, get it set up in the conference room. So I put cardboard on our nice conference table. I put it there. And Jack comes in with a, a video camera and a tripod. He's He had gotten the manual from, from Ford about the transfer case. And him and I spent that entire day. I think we were there almost till midnight. We took this thing apart piece by piece. Right. So we knew exactly how it worked, what it did, how it would go together. Now, the problem was when we were done doing it, Jack handed me the tape and goes, all right, now put it back together. Just go backwards from what we did. <laughs> yeah. So we get then we have to go up to Detroit to take depositions or statements of the Ford engineers. And we go in there and Jack says, bring that transfer case and bring some tools. I'm like, you know, I'd love this thing all the way. to. Can we just get one for it in Detroit? Let's do what I say. OK, we get there. We get we're, we're at the office of a, if any lawyers are watching a guy named Harry Philo is a legend in American law. He, he was kind enough to let us use our offices and he had this big, big conference room. And we get there and Jack says, put the, we had this, I had this transfer case in a crate, an old milk crate. Put it behind the couch. Ford comes in. There's Jack and I, who are from a five man firm. And there's like three Ford engineers. And there are seven, eight lawyers from Ford who are all top law school, top everything, you know. Couldn't find better lawyers. And Jack is questioning the en first engineer. And the engineer says, gee, if I had a transfer case here, I could show you. And you see Jack's eyes light up. He looks at me and says, go get the transfer case. So I get up and I go behind the couch and I pull out a transfer case and I put it. And Jack and this engineer spend the next five, six hours going through this transfer case about how it's built, what could have happened here, what would be the signs of it. And these seven lawyers who were probably as talented as any in America, they didn't know what was going on. You know, of all the law they knew and everything else, they had never bothered to look at the transfer case. And two weeks later, the case settles. Wow. And I learned that's the work you do. I mean, you can know the law, but you got to right. know people. You got to know how things work. You really got to. And I'll be honest with you. That's right. why I love this job. Yeah. Because I'm still getting cases where I don't know much about this, but I'm going to learn about it. And it's right. fascinating. And I get to work with some of the best experts in all fields across the country. So, um, oh, my gosh. Oh, no, you're fine. So. so that's and I told I said, you know, it's funny because it really doesn't have anything to do with the law. It has to do with doing the work, right. know, rolling up your sleeves. And again, I, I go back to my upbringing in, in Steubenville. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's what you did. You didn't worry about how you looked. You worried about rolling up your sleeves. And you did what um, you needed to do to get the job yeah, done. Yeah, and you do, and you find out. Yeah, do you the know. work. Stay a little longer. You know, talk to the people. So again, that's one of my right. favorite Wacom War stories. Right. So. Wow. So what attracted you to join uh, the Zacker Law Firm in 2015? Great law firm. Great people. So it, the story actually goes back to 1984, 85. I, going to law school before I was bartending, I was a bouncer at a bar in Tempe called After the Gold Rush. Chris Zacker was a year or two younger than me, happened to get a job there as well. And so we were bouncers together and he was getting ready to graduate undergrad and wanted to know, 
hey, you know, what do you think of law school? And I told him, I said, look, it's a grind. You know, I said, if I can do it, a monkey can do it. You just got to be able to get through it, put in the work, put in the time and be patient and persistent. So that's 85, 86. I become a lawyer. Chris and I keep in touch. In 2008, I left the firm I was with. I started my own firm and I was basically getting hired by other lawyers to try their cases for them. And then, um, but being a solo practitioner, it's a lot of work because you're the accountant, you're the paralegal, you're the janitor. You're everything. Uh, And so Chris happened to have a case he needed help on. And so I came in and we worked on this case together. And during the time of this case, I'm bemoaning, "Ah, I hate, you know, I got to go back to the office tonight and and do filing or I got to go back and do some accounting. I've, you know, I wish I had help. And Chris Mm -hmm. is bemoaning the fact their trial lawyers aren't, you know, they don't grow on trees. He wish he had a good trial lawyer. And so we said, let's try this out. Let's. I said, I'll join you. You give me the staff. I'll give you my experience and help bringing in cases. And it has been fantastic. I mean, we really do do good quality work with good people and we enjoy what we do. Um, what trends have you noticed in personal injury that um, and even tort litigation in, in the recent years? Well, I'll tell you, not so much in the recent years, but the two biggest things are the judges and the juries, because the judges are going to make the decisions for you. And the ultimate decision is made by the jury. Mm-hmm. Where you're at makes a big difference. Uh, it, Phoenix is where, you know, as much as we voted Democrat recently, it, we, this is a conservative, pretty red state. I've noticed trends of, of and I hate to say this, limiting people's access to the courts that really need it. I think that unfortunately there's a mirroring politics. There's a too big of a portion of our society that doesn't have the access to the courts. And when they do get the access, they're limited uh, simply by the judges. And again, juries, mm-hmm. juries in Maricopa County are tough. You know, you know, I got, you know, you come in there asking them to give you money and they're like, wait a minute, nobody helped me out. Why am I having to give you money? So I, I think that's kind of been one of the trends is I think this country's gone, you know, conservative, good or bad. And I think that reflects on how the law is being perceived, uh, how judges are viewing it and how juries are, are ultimately um, viewing the cases. I mean, it's it's right. you really got to think long and hard before bringing a case in front of a jury in Arizona. In fact, lately, I've been pushing cases to be more for arbitrations where another lawyer hears the case and decides. Because I just think you're getting a fairer result that way. Right. So you you mentioned earlier that you've been an attorney for 30, what was it, 30? Uh, 36 years 36? 36, okay. yeah. 36 years. So what, what advice would you give um, to aspiring trial lawyers looking to make a meaningful impact in the courtroom? And again, find a place where you can get in the courtroom. Because back when I started, there weren't rules about what type of cases could get into court because they're not big enough. We've implemented those to try and help the courts alleviate the caseloads. But when I practice, you could get in the courtroom. So my first, if you really want to be a trial lawyer, one is make sure you got the stomach for it and you like doing it. Because you're going to spend a lot of late nights and you're going to have to get up in front of people and convince them that you're right. And the guy next to you, who's probably just as good is wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, And when you're doing it, telling people, give my guy money, that's an even bigger 
you know, that's an even bigger hurdle to overcome. So in, in a lot of times it's the public defender, it's the government jobs that get you in the courtroom, but check out the firms that go to trial. Right. And the other thing I would tell them is go down and watch. Because you're going to see the difference. You can set, tell somebody that feels comfortable in a courtroom, knows what they're doing, versus somebody that doesn't want to be there. So I, the first thing I would tell them is go down, watch a couple trials. If you can get somebody to allow you to at least sit in and, wa- and watch it and watch how you do it, first figure out if you got the stomach for it. Right. And the personality. I mean, there's just some people that I, I, like, I tell people, I love get up, getting up in front of eight strangers and hamming it up. <laughs> um, but there's some people that's just not their personality and you got to take rejection because yeah. I, you know what, if you were talking about all the cases I've had, it's a lot easier for me to remember the ones I lost yeah. than it is the ones I've won. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, the ones I've won, I tend to think it wasn't me and the ones I've lost. What did I do wrong? What did, yes. Um, right. So if I, you're a young lawyer, one, get in with somebody that does that, um, it, which is hard because there's a lot of, you know, I don't, you know, God bless my advertising type lawyers on billboards, but I'm not sure how many of them really, really get in the courtroom. You know, that so, was one thing I noticed when I was in Phoenix, literally. Oh, yeah. Injury law attorney. I'm like, Wow. Oh, and here's what's funny. Most of them, when the case won't settle and it's got to go to trial, they call Zacher because we're I mean, we I I think we've got as many, if not more than most. I mean, we're all trial lawyers. Right. We'll go in the courtroom and we we like and I think we get better results because of that. Insurance companies know, you know, if you don't go into the courtroom, they're going to push you. And if you don't take they know you're going to take their best offer. If they mm-hmm. think you're going to trial, they'll put more money on the table. It may not be until you get to that point, but they'll do it. Sure. So, but sure. for young lawyers, it's finding a finding a firm and, and go down and watch. Right. Are there any upcoming cases or projects um, at the Zacker Law Firm that you find particularly interesting? Yeah, you know, I've got a couple medical malpractice cases I think are really interesting because I think they're against very competent doctors who's unwilling to admit they've made a mistake, but they have. And I've got a one coming up against uh, a local local government law enforcement agency. Um, and I don't want to give too many details. No, right. The judge hears, but uh, right. I'll give you a general. As the person who was a flight risk was in the back of the, with two law enforcement people in front of him, is in the back of supposedly a locked in shackles. Yeah. Handcuffs, belly chain shackles. He's able to get out of all of that, open the door and get out. And it's like, how does this happen? So again, we've got, uh, I'm trying to think if there's anything else coming up. You know, unfortunately, I've got a couple coming up. And and again, it's the other end of the spectrum. I told you I did a lot of um, cases with school molestations. The other one we're finding is um, elderly and assisted living Mm -hmm. places and that that are just, you know, um, I don't believe people are injured. Rarely are they injured, injured intentionally, um, but they are injured because I've seen cases where they just can't find the right people to do the job. So they put anybody in the job. Right. And when you're when you're dealing with people's safety, that's a risky decision to make. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Final question. Beyond your legal career. All right. Do you have any personal interests, passions, hobbies that you like you'd like to share with our audience? 
Well, I've got two boys, so there's it. My oldest is he's got this podcast going and he's he, you know, I'm I'm just learning about this stuff. And my youngest wrestles at ASU. So I, I love watching them uh learning to grow up and be a man in this world. But my two favorite are music and movies. Great. I can talk all day on music and movies. I love concerts. What's your favorite group? Oh, I you know, I God, I can't, you know, I could tell you. God, you know, I'm a big Almond Brothers fan. I was fortunate to see them in their heyday. Dave Matt. I mean, I, I'm all over the board. Yeah. You yeah. know, from the Stones to Zeppelin to, you know, unfortunately, I'm, you know, I'm the, you know, get off my lawn, old guy. <laughs> I don't know much of the new stuff. Sure. But I like music. I like listening to instruments. Yeah. Um, you know, the progressive rock stuff I did because I like jazz. I'm a big jazz fan. So, you know, and, and I'll go see any live show. Yeah, I think anybody that's able to play an instrument is amazing, and so I, I'll go to even if it's just a local between a local band or somebody nobody's ever heard of. I got nothing to do. I'll go. It's a great way to spend an evening. Going, I wish I could do that. Sure. How about what's your favorite movie? My favorite movie would be Doctor Zhivago. So no, David Lee, David Lean did these epics. It okay. is based on a uh, a book. It takes place during the Russian Civil War, but only because it was one of the first movies I saw. And I was like, but I like everything from the Big Lebowski to Sound of Music to um, if I need to be cheered up, there's a movie called A Good Year with okay. Russell Crowe. And okay. I'll just sit and watch that and I'll, I'll be fine. But I'll, you know, and I'll be honest, the one thing I do like about technology is I think I'm getting better, you know, a more variety of quality stuff I'm able to stream because there's some really good talented right. filmmakers and, and actors. And so but that's those are my two other passions. Is there anything else? Oh, great. Is there anything yeah. else you want our listeners to know? No, other than um, one of the things I find is when, with especially with our clients, the law isn't what you see on TV. Mm-hmm. It never happens that smoothly and it's not wrapped up in an hour. Really take time to look at if you want, if you've got a legal problem, talk to people about it. And if you're going to hire a lawyer, do your research. Right. I mean, those are the two biggest things. So, um, you right. know, that's that's pretty much that's the good advice. Don't yeah, it really is. I mean, quit. do the research. Talk right. to, and, and don't and don't. And here's the other thing. Don't go with your first choice. Because it, I've had so many people, and you know, we do cases that other either they didn't like their lawyer or their lawyer dropped them. And one thing I hear always is, "Well, you know, when we first met, I just had a bad feeling, or I just didn't think there was a connection." Yeah, if there's not, find somebody that is. Because normally, if you're if you're willing to step into the legal arena, it's probably pretty important in your life. Mm-hmm. So, like anything else, look around, talk to a couple people, see a couple yeah. lawyers. Right. Get something that fits. You feel good about because it's a long, tough journey. Wow. Well, uh, thanks for joining us today. We oh, my pleasure. I appreciate on this. Um, So, if you want to learn more about um, David and the law firm, how can they give me uh, your information? Well, the best way to do is is just Google Zacker Law Firm Phoenix. Um, it'll get you my contact info. It's got a biography on all of us. We've been getting in, in the, the head guy here, Chris Zacker, is an amazing lawyer, an amazing guy, and does a great job of, of getting the word out about the services we provide and the quality we provide. So the easiest way to go to zacherlaw.com, Z A C H A R L A W.com, and then you'll 
there'll be a link for me and you can email me. And again, and I tell people, I I may not be able to help you, but after doing this for 36 years in Phoenix, I'll be able to find somebody that can. And again, we don't charge for consultations or phone calls. We're really here to help people. Well, that sounds great. Well, it's been a pleasure. So thank you for joining us today on this episode of the Case Closed Podcast. Thank you for listening to another episode of Case Closed, the Contingency Fee Podcast. We hope you enjoyed listening to this week's guests and their insight. If you liked what you heard, please consider subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts. Case Closed, the Contingency Fee Podcast is led by industry experts who unlock insights from the nation's top contingency fee attorneys. Each week on the show, the guests share how they got started, secrets of their success, and what's working in today's marketplace. Guests on the Case Closed Podcast include successful contingency fee attorneys that will share their secrets so you can close more cases. Tune in each week for a dynamic conversation about winning legal strategies that will grow your business. 